Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hello. How are we? We are good. Coming up on today's show, <laughs> the attack of the stands. How does stand culture function in 2020 and why do so many celebrities struggle with valid critique? Then, chef turned alternative medicine crusader Pete Evans and iconic actress Magda Sabansky lock heads on celebrity-led COVID ads and we remember Chadwick Boseman, a star gone too soon who left an indelible mark on the world. But before we get to all of that, Michelle, how was your week? My week was consumed with anxiety once again because we release our book <laughs> tomorrow and I am freaking the fuck out. Like I can't I can't do anything. I can't have a proper conversation with people because I get sidetracked and I just go into this like weird anxiety spiral of thinking I'm going to destroy my entire career. I don't know. Is that the same as you? Yeah, well, it's funny. I find myself like get this weird form of snarky when people want to ask me about it, which is just so completely mm. irrational because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it is so harsh and so irrational, but I'm like, wait, I don't actually want to have a conversation about this. You're right. It does go on sale tomorrow and our book launch is on Thursday. Thank Thank you so much as well to 500 people who bought tickets. We donated $5,000 to charity. Yeah, absolutely. We raised five grand for Jira, which is a culturally aware, culturally sensitive family violence charity for Indigenous and Aboriginal women in Victoria. So thank you to everyone who bought tickets. All proceeds will be going towards Jira and we're so excited to be able to support them. Zara, my recommendation this week is pretty basic, bitch. (laughs) Just for something different. I have been watching Suits. I never really got into Suits. I only watched like a scene. Season here and there, but I've gotten 
full on into suits this time around. I'm interested by this because I think it's universally acknowledged that most people watched the first season of Suits and didn't watch the rest. Like I think that's a very <laughs> commonly held perception of Suits. So A, what made you go back and B, how are you finding it? It must be weird watching Meghan Markle in a different form. Yeah, I think Suits is tailor-made for Melbourne lockdown. Like I'm not going to tell anyone that it is the best show I've ever watched I will tell people, though, if you watch the first five seasons, there's a big payoff at the end of season five and towards the beginning of season six. Like, we have watched upwards of 80 episodes. What (laughs) I love about it is that I can... I I mean, don't even hide it. Tell us the truth. No, there's nothing else for us to do. What do people want us to do? We go out for our one hour of exercise a day. We go to the supermarket. We come home and all weekend we have nothing to do. So we watch Suits. It's a great show if you just want to sit on your phone and scroll through Instagram and have it on the background. There is some like really sassy dialogue between the characters. I never understand what the fuck's going on with the actual legal side of things. Like absolutely no idea whatever. I think in every single episode, Mitch and I make a comment about what Prince Harry would think about what Meghan Markle just said or what she just did as a character as Rachel Zane. But Yeah, it's a good way to pass the time. If people have time to pass, go do it. Your watching of Suits reminds me of my watching of Billions. Like I had no idea what Mm. they were talking about when there was all this like finance, (laughs) like investment banking or what. I I probably have even got the wrong industry lingo, but the rest of it is juicy enough to keep you going. So I don't mind that. I'm still probably not going to go back and watch Suits, but I appreciate the recommendation. Thank you. It's the kind of show that you'd want a lawyer to sit down and point out all the flaws in it. It's kind of like when you sit down a doctor and they watch Grey's Anatomy or they watch house or something and they just point out the myriad of issues with the show. I kind of want to do that with a lawyer. Anyway, how was your week? My week wasn't bad. To explain how little is going on in my life, the highlight of my (laughs) week this week, and I mean genuine highlight, like it put me in the sunniest mood for a couple of hours, was (laughs) I found my key to our little storage cage that we have in our apartment building and I was able to put 75% of the boxes that we've had since moving in that cage and it's decluttered my space. Yeah, because you've had all tips be shut, right? Like you guys, when you moved house, you couldn't take anything to a tip so you've just been living in your own filth. Yes, genuinely. And all I do now is I walk around the apartment being like, I love this space now. I am so happy because the storage (laughs) cage, the very tiny storage cage that we've got is housing most of our shit. So that was the best part of the last (laughs) probably month for me. That's how little is going on. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. Genuinely. So I did that. I also have a recommendation. Given I'm piggybacking off the success of the Bloody Floridora because every weekend at the moment I am tagged in about 20 stories of people drinking Bloody Floridoras. So firstly, thank you to everybody jumping on that bandwagon. (laughs) I'm going to push another food-related wreck if that's what we want to call it. Okay. I made a caramilk pudding on the weekend and it was incredible. Why are you? I'm making a face because I think caramel is so completely overrated. I don't, and I haven't told my friends this. My friends are all obsessed with caramel and they like post caramel related memes in our group chat all the time. And I just go completely silent on it because caramel tastes disgusting. I have to agree with you. I don't like caramel as a block. Ooh. I think caramel oh. is one of the most overrated blocks of chocolate in the country. 100%. Okay, explain why you then like a pudding okay. where it is the main ingredient. Because I love caramel. I'm a big caramel eater when it comes to dessert anyway. Like I love the flavor of caramel. My favorite ice cream of all time is Hokey Pokey. Honeycomb. There. (laughs) See, crunchy. All all in the same category. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I saw this pudding and I really love like a sticky date pudding, but this is like the most, it's not a sticky date pudding at all. I think any kind of baker listening to this will be like, <laughs> they're not the same, but I wanted some sort of like caramelly dessert and it is incredible. I promise you, if you don't like caramel chocolate, you'll still love this pudding. I very much appreciate it, by the way, when you posted it on Friday night, I loved that you posted yours and then you posted the recipe. And I've got to say the recipe photo looks a little <laughs> bit different to yours. You've got to be humble like that these days. I'm not a good baker. I'm so shit at it. And I got a couple of replies being like, yeah, I think it needed an extra 20 minutes in the oven. And I was like, well, fair enough, but I'm happy to eat this as is. And I still think even if you fuck it up, which I did, I absolutely fucked it up because it was meant to be a self-sourcing pudding and I couldn't find the sauce once I'd pulled it out. It was still fucking delicious. So I will put the recipe to that in our show notes. Thank you so much. I mean, I'd love to tell you that I'm going to make it, but I'm still on this health kick and I don't feel like caramel pudding fits into a health kick very seamlessly. Which means every one of our listeners is going to have to make it instead. So go forth, listener, go make the caramel pudding. (laughs) It was really fucking easy too. What have we got on the hotline today? The first hotline message we have is from James. G'day girls, huge fan of the show. I'm lucky enough to have stumbled across your podcast uh, during lockdown and it's been a great staple for getting me through each day and each week. I uh, just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your podcast as a cisgendered male. I really appreciate millennial perspective on women and women's struggles in the workplace and in life in general. And I think that what you do is really important in uh, sharing that inside. And I think that there are many men who would benefit from listening to this podcast, not just women. So I really appreciate what you do. And I'll uh, make sure to recommend this to as many blokes as possible. Cheers. James. James. Thank you for calling in. Our first male hotline caller. And I am stoked about it, Zara McDonald. Our first male hotline caller. I love that he loves the show. I have to say, we know with our stats and our demographics that we are about 95% women. Mm, I think it's a little bit above that. I think it's about 97.3 is the current split. So hello to the 2.7% of men listening to this. One may be my dad or my brother or my boyfriend, but to the others like James, we absolutely love to have you. And if we ever accidentally exclude you in statements like to all the female listeners listening, pull us up on it. We know you're out there. Absolutely. And... Here's why we changed the podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. So, James, welcome to the club. We're so happy to have you. Who else do we have today? We've also got a message from Meg. She wanted to have a chat about the masked singer from an artist perspective. Hey, Mission Zara. This is Meg. I wanted to get in touch after the masked singer chat last week. I'm an actor, and the arts community as a whole just kind of got wiped overnight as soon as any type of restrictions started happening in March. Jobs are so few and far between and I would think the dancers on The Masked Singer just would have been so overwhelmed with gratefulness that they had a job in this time. Maybe that was kind of at the forefront. Maybe they didn't speak out if things are a bit too close because they were aware of how grateful they should be. And I think also playing into that is the awareness that there are so many unemployed artists that can take your place. It's been really interesting listening to people say that artists should get real jobs during lockdown when these same people would go home and watch Netflix and play games that artists have made and listen to music that artists have made and buy clothes that artists have made. Just hoping that when this is all over, everyone will flock back to music and theatre and dance and art even more so than they did before. Thanks, ladies. 
Hey, I really loved this voicemail because I think I think when we had a conversation about the mass Singer last week, we were pretty harsh on it going forward. But I think in the back of our minds, the only possible reason that a show like this could be still filming is either because it's a money-related issue or an arts industry-related issue. And I think if there's one thing we've learned from this pandemic is the arts industry has been absolutely decimated thanks to what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And our hearts go out to anyone who's in the arts industry because – you guys have been undersupported. You have been basically unseen in a lot of the conversations around work and COVID-19. And I can't imagine how stressful it would be to be working in the events space or in the art space right now. And it's really fucking tough. And we're thinking of you. I still don't know where I sit on the masked singer issue. If I think it should have been filmed in Melbourne or if it could have been taken to another state where the arts industry is also struggling. There aren't many events going on around the country right now. So surely this could have been moved to Brisbane or to Adelaide. I know there's been a lot of chatter around all Sydney studios being booked out right now. I'm just not sure if it had to go ahead in Melbourne. No, I think that's completely fair. And I think it's the question that a lot of people are asking. But I think when it does come to the arts industry, we know that they have been one of the key industries ignored by the government when it comes to financial compensation and support. So to anyone out there, we are thinking of you, as Mish said, and uh, hopefully the minute this thing is over, we're all rushing to comedy gigs and theatre gigs and events that you guys are putting on because they bring us so much joy. Very well said, Zara McDonald. Should we get on to today's first segment? We absolutely should, and we are starting with the attack of the stands. We are. This was an article written in Pedestrian over the weekend. And I'm so glad that writer Lisa Hamilton put it out because it was such an interesting piece. If you didn't catch it, the title was, It's been one year since I was almost destroyed by a swarm of Billie Eilish stands online. Zara, you read the story, of course, in prep for this segment. Give us some context. What exactly happened here with Lisa Hamilton and the Billie Eilish stands? God, this was a good story. So Lisa Hamilton wrote for Pedestrian, as Mish said this week, that she got the opportunity to interview Billie Eilish about a year ago. And as so many journalists know, when you get the opportunity to interview someone like Billie Eilish and they're on like a press tour, you don't have much time, you don't have much opportunity, you've kind of got to nail that moment. And she wrote about the interview that she felt she had really good rapport with Billie Eilish, the interview went really well and she was really stoked to share it. And what she did in that interview is she asked Billie what she was going to do for her then upcoming 18th birthday. Quick side note, I still can't believe that Billie Eilish is only like 19 years old. I know. (laughs) And Lisa joked to Billie Eilish in this interview that a lot of Aussies take a gap year and head off to Bali to discover themselves when they turn 18. And she thought this was a pretty funny moment. When she was teasing the interview the night before it went live, she popped it on her Instagram and she used that hook in her caption alongside an image of her and Billy. She hit post, she went to bed. Yeah, so the caption read, excuse me for a minute, just hanging out with the coolest teenager in the world. Tune in to hashtag TRL this Friday, 6pm to watch our chat, which included conversations about where Billy is going to go on her gap year to discover herself. Now, obviously that was all tongue in cheek, But in the moment when people read that caption, they didn't connect those dots. They didn't realize that Lisa Hamilton was being sarcastic or being tongue in cheek and they took her words literally. This then sparked a tsunami of Billie Eilish stands freaking out that Billie was going on a one-year break from music that they had no idea about. I think my favorite part about stories like this is halfway through I was reading the story, I stopped scrolling, read the caption and tried to guess exactly what the stands were going to be annoyed about. (laughs) 
because <laughs> often it's so small and so insignificant that you can't quite work it out. And I couldn't really work it out. I was so confused knowing that this story was about vitriol and aggression from stands, what the thing they were going to pick up on was. And it was this joke that Lisa said that she was going to take a gap year. Now, it also should be noted that Lisa wasn't posting this from an account of hundreds of thousands of followers, was she? No, she was posting this at the time with, I think, under a thousand. She said she gained a couple of thousand from this backlash and from this furor. But she had like an everyday, typical, normal account for someone working in the media just around that 1,000 mark. And it still made international headlines. So basically what happened is all these Billie Eilish stands freaked out, went online, started tweeting that Billie was going on this break. A range of different publications started publishing it. And then Billie's team got involved. Billy sent out an Instagram story that said, bitch, I'm not taking a year off the fuck I'm in this shit. <laughs> Classic Billie Eilish slide there. I would love to try and read that out in a more confident way, but I'm, I'm just way too like basic. That was okay. very dorky. That was <laughs> Let like me a, try. That was like a 50 year old on TikTok. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> bitch, I'm not taking a year off the fuck I'm in this shit. Better? Yeah, actually marginally better. I reckon I would read that and have no idea what she was trying to say, though. No. So she was saying basically that the claims that she was going on a gap year were not true, which then made all her stands conclude that Lisa Hamilton was a liar. Now, what I find so frustrating about this story, Zara, apart from the fact that Lisa Hamilton got death threats, the fact that she was mercilessly trolled by a bunch of strangers online for making a joke about an interview, is the fact that Billie Eilish and her team did not sense the situation, clarify it, send out something that would protect Lisa Hamilton. Instead, according to this article at least, they demanded that MTV and Lisa Hamilton issue an official apology to Billie Eilish's stands for the confusion. On receiving this official request, Lisa Hamilton wrote, I truly could not believe it. As a journalist, I felt like this was completely undermining myself. And to be quite honest, I was a little bit offended that the unfounded war cries from an army of stands had won over. And I think this is the most interesting point when we're talking about stand culture in the context of this story, because what I've done in the last couple of days is just gone pretty deep on stand culture, because I've always been very intrigued by it. I mean, I've had conversations with you where it's kind of come up a few times where I've said to you, I really want to talk about it. And in most of the reading I've done, it seems very, very clear that very few artists, if any, take accountability for their own stands because stand culture holds so much power. It can often dictate what kind of music an artist releases or how they kind of go about a tour or whatever it might be because they are such loyal and intense fans. So when it comes to a music journalist, and it's almost always a music journalist being targeted by stands, it's very, very rare. I've never read an example yet where the artist itself seeks to protect the journalist in question. And Mish, it reminds me of when Ash London spoke on our podcast mm. last year about being the victim of trolling from One Direction fans or in particular, Louis Tomlinson fans. Yeah. So Louis Tomlinson, if anything, jumped on the bandwagon of mm. sending Ash London hate. He was the one spurring it along. He even gleefully tweeted out, and I quote, that Ash London should stay 
on private with a middle finger emoji while his fans were brutally attacking her. Ash London was so traumatized by that incident, she took months off social media and it triggered an anxiety disorder for her. So we can't really underestimate the impact that these kinds of swarms, and I love that, I love that language that Lisa Hamilton used in her piece of a swarm of stands, because they really do appear to be like a swarm of killer bees, like they're trying to sting you from every possible angle and there's a million of them and you can't escape. And the thing about that Ash London story, right, is when you hear the impact rather than the statement first, and we haven't even mentioned what she said, you assume that she would have said something kind of harsh. But the crux of all of these stories is that something very innocuous is often setting these stands off. In the case of Ash London, she joked that Louis Tomlinson had ratty facial hair on her breakfast radio program. And she has said, as you said, Mish, it has really, really affected her in ways she didn't see coming. In another quote Mm. on her breakfast radio program, she said, I think it's part of the reason I'm so addicted to my phone. It's that I'm always waiting for things to be misinterpreted. Or if I get an Instagram alert, I have to check it straight away. It's a really weird anxiety now. And it would. She said she had one million, more than one million messages, trolling messages off the back of this one very innocuous comment. Yeah. And I know that social media is not the real world, but when you're suffering from that kind of onslaught, it would absolutely feel like it is. I do want to speak to you about celebrities harnessing the power of their stand community in such a toxic and damaging way. I was really disturbed to read that in 2019, Lizzo went after a fellow woman of colour, Rawia Kamir. Kamir is a pitchfork writer who wrote an album review of Cause I Love You. She gave the album 6.5 out of 10. She pointed out that there were some really strong elements of the album, but that on the whole, it all felt a bit one note as far as the music was concerned, but that she had huge respect for Lizzo in talking about body positivity and some of her past trauma. Lizzo responded to this by tweeting out that Rawia should be unemployed for daring to have a negative criticism of her. That tweet then sparked an entire backlash against this writer for daring to have a negative opinion of a celebrity's work. And that's an important distinction. This writer was not criticizing Lizzo the person. She was criticizing Lizzo's body of work. And those are two very different things. And for celebrities to be so sensitive that people can't even negatively comment on the work they put out into the world is a bizarre state of affairs. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. And I think that's one of the more curious parts about Stan culture in that I don't know how this changes because stands give artists a lot of power like as you say the thing is sometimes artists use the intensity of their stands for their own benefit people like Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber I mean think about the time that Justin Bieber kind of asked his followers to game the charts what are they, the billboard charts, in order to get his song Yummy to number one. Ariana Grande has used her stands as like a shield for legitimate criticism, including criticism that she's using her appearance to blackfish. One thing to note too is that Junkie has done some incredible work on stand culture, like some really, really incredible work. If you want to do some reading on stand culture, go to Junkie. The thing is, I can't really give you bylines because last month, Rob Stott, the editorial director at Junkie, wrote an article saying we need to talk about stand culture anonymously and said that in his three years at Junkie, he can think of at least a dozen times his staff has been the target of orchestrated harassment campaigns. And from now, whenever any one of his journalists writes an article about stand culture, it's likely going to be put under an anonymous byline. 
Yeah, and it's interesting to me that this only seems to be happening with musicians. It doesn't seem to be happening with any other form of celebrity. There is a certain attachment and a certain obsession that fans have with musicians like Taylor Swift, like Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj was another one who sent her listeners after another black writer, Wana Thompson. Wana Thompson dared to suggest that Nicki Minaj's music could benefit with a little more maturity. And instead of Nicki Minaj taking that on board, she not only went and trolled Wana Thompson herself and sent her a DM saying that she needs to stop sucking her balls and that she's a hoe. She then sent her following after her as well. I just think there needs to be some level of accountability. Clearly, a lot of celebrities have such cushioned egos that they cannot begin to deal with a world where people don't like every single thing they do and will not be glowing about every single thing they do. I think this says a lot about celebrity ego and a lot about the fact that celebrities kind of want to close in ranks on social media and cushion themselves from anything that's remotely negative. I did love a piece in ID Collective by Kieran Devlin. He wrote, the swollen significance of artist narrative and stand culture suggests that the only way a culture journalist can avoid obsolete lessons or Lizzo's recommendation of unemployment is through buying into the shrieking love-in to effectively participate as a stand an obliging cog in the PR machine bite the bullet and toe the line or we won't speak to you and our fans won't engage with you so you'll lose readers you'll lose ad revenue and your organization flirts ever closer with layoffs and closure. I think the thing about stand culture right and it's especially obvious in a quote like that one that you just read out is the assumption that stands are like young teenagers who are kind of silly and hold no power when in reality stan culture is like a rabbit hole when you want to go down it and stands hold incredible power right now like huge internet power and there was another really great piece in junkie which i wish i could attribute a byline to but it was written anonymously but the piece kind of spoke about how stan culture has evolved over the years and why it's so intense now and the piece read What unites these communities is a similarity in their methods for responding to criticism in their uncomplicated adoration for their idol or idols in question and an acute understanding of their own power. That latter fact is also what sets them apart from prior teenage subcultures. There have been pre-adolescent and adolescent fans of pop culture for as long as there has been pop culture. The Beatles had their own stands, so did Jimi Hendrix. Even Franz Liszt, the classical composer, had his clothes torn apart by his rabid followers whenever he appeared in public. Public, but historically, such groups have been scattered. It's this idea that the internet allows you to congregate with strangers in a very uniform place that means that this culture is becoming more and more intense the more we use the internet. Yeah, I actually read the same story. I took out a different quote, which was towards the end. That writer, the anonymous writer, also wrote, These days, not only can stands meet and talk, they can also organize. And more than that, they can see the immediate real world reaction to their organization, which is intoxicating. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And I think the question that I have now rolling out of this segment is that how the fuck can stand culture change when it requires artists taking accountability? And what artist Mm. is going to take accountability for stands that sell them albums and stands that kind of give Mm. them a career? Like without stands, they don't have a career. So I can't imagine anyone turning around pulling them up on it. I want to know if anyone listening to this has been a stand in the past. I have never been a stand for any one musician. Like I love Taylor Swift, but I'm far from a Taylor Swift (laughs) stand. I acknowledge she's 
done some problematic things in the past for sure. But I want to hear from a listener who has been a stan and has come out the other side, has been involved in these really intense organized communities and now isn't. Please call our hotline, go to shamelessthepodcast.com, leave us a voice message. What was it like to be the stan of a musician? Or if you don't want to speak on the hotline, just DM us, please. We want to hear from you. Coming up after the break, this week's Quick and Dirty, plus the lessons we can all take from Chadwick Boseman's life and death. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the Quick and Dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. My wonderful friend, Zara, what do you have for me? Hello, my first story. (laughs) I don't know why. I love it. It's like we're just introducing ourselves to each other every time we introduce the quick and dirty. Like we haven't just been talking for 25 minutes. There is literally no doubt it's getting incredibly annoying, but I don't think that we'll ever stop. My first story today, (laughs) Katy Perry gives birth, welcomes first child with a Lando Bloom. That is from E! News. I'd actually forgotten she was pregnant. Really? I feel like she was pregnant for a million years it might just be COVID times I feel like this is happening to me a lot lately where I'm remembering something and thinking that it must have happened in mid-2019 and feeling like it was a lifetime ago but really it only happened just before coronavirus but the last four months have felt like 400. Yeah my sense of time or my perspective on time is so completely out of whack I mean I imagine she was pregnant for about nine months so probably nine months that takes us to what november last year that she would have fallen pregnant so she would have announced it at the start of this year right i love that you're bringing up when she would have fallen pregnant because now i'm just picturing katy perry Don't. and orlando bloom conceiving anyway <laughs> katy perry and orlando bloom gave birth to a little girl how exciting the name daisy dove bloom dove oh my god dove uh, <laughs> 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 annabelle you need to cut that daisy out dove Annabelle, okay, fine, we're clearly not able to cut it. Daisy Dove Bloom. It's an early morning record. Oh my God, you need more coffee, mate. Daisy Dove Bloom. It's very. It's very Jamie Oliver-esque. If you guys aren't familiar, Jamie Oliver's babies are all called things like Daisy Dove or Daisy Dove, depending on your pronunciation. You know what? It has not been confirmed that it's definitely Dove. So technically it could be Dove. Anyway, what is quite interesting about this announcement, Mish, is that UNICEF actually announced the, the birth of Daisy Dove. Daisy Dove. Yeah, they did. And originally I thought this was very, very random, but you did some extra research into it and it's actually not that random and it's quite powerful and quite beautiful. So UNICEF did tweet out and announce the news. They wrote, welcome to the world, Daisy Dove Bloom. We are honored to introduce Goodwill Ambassadors, Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom's new bundle of joy. We are floating with love and wonder from the safe and healthy arrival of our daughter, the couple said. Now, Zara, there was meaning behind this and why UNICEF announced. Yeah, there was huge power behind it. They went on to write, but we know we're the lucky ones and not everyone can have a birthing experience as peaceful as ours. Communities around the world are still experiencing a shortage of healthcare workers and every 11 seconds a pregnant woman or newborn dies, mostly from preventable causes. So they clearly are trying to raise awareness for maternal health, particularly in corners of the globe where women don't have the privilege of having the access to healthcare that someone like Kate 
Katy Perry does. So I really respect this. I really, really do. I think it's a really beautiful way to go about it. Yeah, given some celebrities have kind of clickbaited us with their newborn babies' photos or names by making us like sign up to an app or join their business, I have huge respect for Katy and Orlando using their child's arrival to kind of spread this really important message. Yeah, or get their pregnancy announcement sponsored by Clear Blue, as every American <laughs> celebrity seems to be doing at the moment. My second story, a little bit of a more sobering one today. This is sickening. Cardi B, Beyonce, Common, decried Jacob Blake shooting. That is from the LA Times. Mish, it seems it's another week, another black man shot by police. Yeah, absolutely. So if you missed this story, 29-year-old Jacob Blake was shot multiple times, up to seven times, according to reports, in his back on Sunday as he was opening the door of his car. So he was resisting arrest by police, but I absolutely despise some of the sentiment that is coming out on Twitter and online where people are kind of bringing in the rap sheet against him or the accusations against him as if police should ever be gunning down men in the street as if there is any excuse for a policeman to shoot someone in the back seven times while they open the door of their car. There's just no excuse for it. And I'm shocked that people are still trying to bend this story to be anything other than extreme racism and extreme police brutality towards the black community. Yeah, well, the fact of the matter is no white man has ever shot and regardless of what he's doing or how he is resisting arrest, it is consistently black men. We know this time and time again. As you can imagine, Mish, many, many nights of protesting popped up in Wisconsin where he was shot, reminding us that this conversation is so, so far from over. I know the Black Lives Matter movement, when it really peaked in about April this year, has sort of plateaued a bit and died away. But, you know, with having people like Cardi B, Beyonce, others like Demi Lovato, Camila Cabello, Chelsea Handler, Amy Schumer, Oprah Winfrey talking about this reminds us we need to keep having these conversations because... As long as black men are still being shot by white police officers, the country is going to be in mourning and going to be in turmoil. Yeah, and I think it's also important that we share the name of the man who shot him multiple times in the back. I think we tend to only talk about the victims. We don't talk about the potential perpetrators of this kind of racism and these kind of crimes. So the 31-year-old white police officer who shot Jacob Blake multiple times in the back is Rustin Shesky. He has been put on administrative leave. My third story, Brad Pitt, 56, and German model Nicole Podorowski, 20. 27, love how their ages are just slotted in there in the headline, <laughs> look very flirty on a date night nine months ago as their relationship is confirmed. That is from the Daily Mail. Absolutely shocking to know that another powerful man in Hollywood is dating a woman almost 30 years his junior. But congratulations to Brad Pitt. Happy he has found love after his divorce from Angelina. As you know, Michelle, men in Hollywood only get hotter with age and their girlfriends <laughs> only get younger. He was spotted. Hooray. So this was confirmed this week because there was spotted at a French airport together and sources then confirmed that yes they have been dating what's interesting as this article says is that they were spotted dare I say cozying up together at a Kanye West (laughs) concert in November 2019 so you know this may have been going on for some time one fact I found interesting so they were landing in France as we said and apparently going on to Brad Pitt's chateau that he once owned with Angelina Jolie. Worth $60 million, by the way. Uh, My jaw dropped when I read that figure. I didn't even know houses went 
up that high in price range. I thought they kind of were capped at about the 30 mil point. Well, it has 35 rooms, which just seems a little <laughs> bit excessive because I'm like, what What do you feasibly need all that space? Don't get me wrong. If I was a Hollywood star, it would be nice to buy a house that you really loved. But that kind of mm-hmm. space, dare I say, is gluttonous. That is a gluttonous, gluttonous amount of room. It is gluttonous. That is a great word to describe it. How many things must you have to need 35 rooms? And how many visitors do you need to have over at all times of the day to like validate having that much space and taking up that much space in the world? Well, I don't know. Hate if you want your 35 room palatial mansion, go for it. But it's one of his like, I'm pretty sure they've got five or six homes. So it's just a bit much. I was going to say you could have a slumber party with all your friends and have them stay, but I don't even have 35 friends. <laughs> That was actually not even the point of my story. Going back to this, I'm really interested because this is the chateau where Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt got married. And I don't know, I wonder if you started dating a guy who brought you to his holiday house and he had got married and kind of had a family in that holiday house, would you feel a bit weird? Or if it's 35 room Mm. palatial mansion, you're not really going to give a fuck or ask questions. I mean, I'm really interested to hear what the listeners think on this. I think the only thing you have to do and that you really should do after the ending of like a marriage or a significant relationship when you then bring another person into your life is probably get a different bed. Is that weird? (laughs) That would be the one thing. hundred percent. House is fine. I'm not expecting anyone to sell their house. I am expecting you to get a new bed. I think that's absolutely fair. Story number four. (laughs) Celebrity chef Pete Evans accused of fat shaming Magda Zubansky after COVID ad. That is from 7 News. Mish, did you see this around this week? I did. And I felt really sorry for Magda Zubansky this week. She copped a lot of trolling and a lot of criticism. She, if you don't live in Victoria, there are a lot of celebrity-led health advertisements on television at the moment. So Magda Zabanski performing as Sharon from Kath and Kim is not the only ad. However, it is the ad that has ignited the most conversation and debate, which I hate because a lot of that debate has centered around the shape of Magda's body and whether or not a fat woman, and she refers to herself that way, a fat woman should be championing health messages on a public platform. Yeah, it's really gross and really subtle. I think that Magda has suddenly become the face of these COVID ads when there's about six or seven ads being aired in Victoria at the moment. The reason in particular that it's making news now is because Pete Evans did come out, shock horror, and slam the ads using a photo of Magda reprising her role as Sharon, and he deemed them offensive. He said, the most offensive and disgraceful ads I have ever seen in television, talk about hyperbole, are circulating in Victoria currently using a few well-known celebrities it is so sad to see this type of brainwashing occurring to children and families in that state and have had enough of the lies. Enough is enough. Imagine if they actually wanted to help people get healthy. How would an ad like that look and sound? Firstly, Pete Evans not even from Victoria, so he can fuck right off. Secondly, He's in Byron Bay. Shock yeah. of the, I know, shock of 2020 that Pete Evans moved to Byron Bay. And now he's absolutely being accused of fat shaming Magda Zabansky, which I would argue he is. Absolutely. I think that last line, how would an ad like that look and sound with a photo of Magda in the ad. I think that's very, very pointed. I really adored Magda Sabansky's handling of this situation. She tweeted a lot and she called out Pete Evans for not just centering her as the conversation point when it comes to coronavirus advertising, but also not deleting or moderating fat phobic and fat shaming comments in his comment section. And I would say if he runs a public page and he's got comments coming in from fans, it is his responsibility to at least make sure they're not bullying someone else. Yeah, I don't think Pete Evans has ever really cared about his comment section considering the shit that flies on there. 
Bangladesh Sabansky did come back and say, fat shaming me and asserting that fat people have no place in discussion about public health not only insults me, but also the fat nurses, doctors, ambos, etc., who give so much. My Polish grand was fat and a nurse, and she risked her life to hide Jews from the Nazis. The one thing I'm really adoring about this is Magda doesn't shy away from being public and being loud when she is being trolled. And mm. I find it quite inspiring. I don't know, that might sound a bit weird, but if I found myself the center of a storm, all I would want to do is hide. That is the only thing mm. that I want to do. But she comes back and she retweets stuff and she's there fighting and she's loud. And I think she's the best example for how when the world tries to tell a woman to shut up, she absolutely doesn't. Well, she rejects shame, doesn't she? And she absolutely. does it in the most powerful, wonderful, eloquent way. One small point I do want to make before we move on, and this is not a reflection of Magda Zabansky and it's certainly not a reflection of any of the well-known public figures who participated in this ad. I do understand why people found these ads frustrating, given the news we had on the weekend that the masked singer was allowed to proceed and inevitably had seven new cases of coronavirus. I understand that people feel patronised and spoken down to when they see celebrities spreading this coronavirus health message when we've seen through the Queensland government's treatment of Danny Minogue and allowing her to skip hotel quarantine, through the Victorian government allowing the masked singer to proceed, that celebrities are not treated the same way as the average person when it comes to lockdown laws. And I do see how people found the messaging of these ads incongruous given the news that we had last weekend. Yeah, I think that's fair. And with regards to Danny Minogue skipping quarantine, I don't know if the mass Singer going ahead had as much to do with celebrity as it did with the arts industry, but I think that's a conversation for another time because we don't actually have the facts in front of us yet. And my fifth and final story, Jennifer Hawkins' home sets record in a sale to Mike Cannon-Brooks. That is from the AFR. Speaking of palatial mansions. $24 million. $24 million. And let me tell you, if I had $24 million, I'd probably spend it on this house because it's a fucking awesome house. It's actually, the reason I put it in is because it's been one of my all-time favorite celebrity houses. I reckon every <laughs> few months I would just find myself stalking photos of the house because you actually can. It was built by Jennifer Hawkins's husband's construction company. So the photos mm. of the house are all over the construction company's Instagram page. Just a little hint for all of you out there who <laughs> want to do that, J Group Projects. And it is an incredible house. And the reason that it's making news now, it was sold a few months ago, but it is now public that it was sold to Atlassian founder Mike Cannon-Brooks. Fun fact, Michelle, this is just mm -hmm. a, a little side house, a little hut for Mike Cannon-Brooks. Ooh, a little retreat. No, just a little, just a little straw hut because he owns a $100 million property in Sydney called Fairwater, which I'm pretty sure is the most expensive property in the country. And he bought the $12 million property behind Fairwater, even though Fairwater takes up 1.1 hectares. He just wanted a little bit of extra space, it seems. Got a cosy over at Fairwater, so needed some extra running room. <laughs> wanted to stretch his legs, just couldn't get enough in in his 1.1 hectares. I will say, you know that a house is going to be fucking expensive when it has a name. Like, not yeah. just the address, it's got a name like Fairwater, the Fairwater estate. State. Nah, because I reject that because one time, this is like a real tangent, one time when I was younger, <laughs> this lady walked past my family home and like introduced herself to my mother and said like, I grew up in this house. This class is called Eleonora. So mum's like, awesome. Mum goes down to the local like sign place. <gasps> oh my God, she did have that. She got a sign I'm made up. And 15 years later, I was like to mum, mum, you never fact check this. Like a random <laughs> lady walked past you on the street, told you the name of the house and you just stuck it on the front of the house. <laughs> 
So just to clarify for the listeners, it was a standard family home. Zara is not living in a $100 million Fairwater property. Good on Jennifer Hawkins and her husband, Jake, though. I'm very excited for them. I'm also very relieved. When celebrities have a lot of money and they spend it on a shit property, like Kim and Kanye's very beige, very boring mansion, I feel like it's such a waste. This $24 million house, very, very nice. Well done. Go high or go home, hey? <laughs> hey, I think that's all we've got time for, though. Thank you so much. It was the news that was almost impossible to miss over the weekend. Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman has died after battling colon cancer privately for the better part of four years. The outpouring of grief online was palpable. He was a man who had an impact not just on his industry, but on the lives of kids and adults everywhere. He was the living embodiment of a superhero. Zara, this rocked the world perhaps more than any other celebrity death this year. So let's talk about how that grief manifested over the weekend. God, yeah. It it was actually really sad to prep for this segment. I mean, we spend quite a few hours doing digging and research and kind of sussing out online commentary around any issue that we cover on this podcast. And I felt very flat after compiling my thoughts on this. I don't know how you felt, Mish, but... I guess the first place I wanted to start when you say the this death in particular, the death of Chadwick Boseman rocked the world perhaps more than any other celebrity death is probably proof in the fact that the announcement of his death on his Twitter page was the most liked tweet of all time. The most liked tweet before that was from 2017 and Barack Obama, just to explain how huge this outpouring of grief was, because I think this is the modern day metric to know how much people care. Yeah, it's massive and transparently I'm not someone who has ever watched Marvel movies I know that will make so many of our listeners cringe and roll their eyes I've never watched any so I knew who Chadwick Boseman was but I think I had never fully grappled with just how much he was a fixture in people's lives and how deeply people loved him and adored him. So if you want some extra detail, he did die after a four-year battle with colon cancer. He was 43. He died with his wife by his side. He actually married his long-term girlfriend, Taylor Simone Ledward, in secret before his death. He proposed to her in October 2019 and they wed apparently earlier this year. So Super, super sad. What I find interesting, Zara, is this is a man who has carved out such a space in public consciousness and he's done it in the space of less than a decade. That's what I was just about to say, Mish, that Hollywood didn't give him that long. At 43, Chadwick Boseman only really had seven years of movies in Hollywood to make his mark. And I think that is such an incredible impact in seven years. I mean, in terms of legacy... I feel like there are a few celebrity deaths that have elicited such a specific type of uncomplicated adoration. And I'm so wary of talking about people in binary terms, good versus bad, but it genuinely appears that he was so wholly good and his impact on the world feels like a tsunami traveling in thousands of different directions. Yeah, absolutely. So Chadwick did get his breakthrough in 2013 through the movie 42, in which he played a genuine American legend, Jackie Mm. Robinson. That was the first significant black player in the major league baseball. Of course, his T'Challa character was introduced to the blockbuster Marvel movies in 2016, Captain America Civil War, and his Wakanda Forever salute has reverberated right around the world. What I find interesting about Black Panther Zara 
Sayonara is that it is the fourth highest. I think this is right. The fourth highest grossing movie in American history. It took in more than $1.3 billion in the global box office. Yeah, no, I think that fact is right because I had the same one noted down. I think it's like the 11th or 12th highest grossing movie of all time. It was an incredible film and incredibly popular Mish, I think it's interesting having this conversation with you as two white women, because I think as much as we can comment on his legacy, I really don't think that we will ever fully comprehend his impact, given we grew up like seeing people who looked like us on TV and on movies. But for black kids and adults, this was the first time they'd ever had a black superhero. And the legendary director Ava DuVernay tweeted in the wake of his death, black Hollywood is small like a small village. When you think about it, there's really only a handful of us working actors, writers, head of departments, crew, directors in a massive industry. One absence devastates. Chad loomed large among us. We will miss him, never forget him, love him always. It is such a shame, as she said, that the village is so small that the hole he leaves looms larger. And then added to that, of course, I think one of the other reasons that the outpouring of grief is so intense is because he was battling cancer secretly for four years but gave so much joy to people in that four years. I mean, in the years after his diagnosis with colon cancer, he filmed and appeared in Marshall, Black Panther, two more Avengers movies, 21 Bridges, Spike Lee's To Five Bloods, and an upcoming adaptation of Moraney's Black Bottom. I just am actually genuinely stunned by that. I've had people very close in my life who have been very, very, very sick. And for those who know what it's like to to have people around you go through very intense, like life-changing, life-saving treatment, it boggles the mind to think how he was able to continue working at such a high-functioning capacity. I mean, the people close in my life who were sick very much struggled to work, struggled to kind of keep any remnant of their life up because you are going through something so spectacularly intense. And if you're staring death in the face and only have a handful of years left on this earth, it's pretty telling how you decide to spend them. And he chose to use those years as being one of the world's biggest and best superheroes. Yeah, and I'm really glad that that secret that he wanted to keep private and totally understandable that he did was kept private for him. I imagine he would have had to tell some pretty influential people that he was sick. I imagine the people he was working with at least. So I'm just glad that he was at least able to hold on to that wish to deal with it in private right up until the very end. These things are so often leaked and it's such an invasion of privacy. So the fact that his privacy was respected in this case is brilliant. I wanted to read out a tweet from Oprah Winfrey. I mean, there were so many tweets from celebrities. I can't remember a time when my Twitter feed has just been completely consumed by one event. Every major celebrity was tweeting about this, but Oprah's really stood out to me. She wrote, a gentle gifted soul, showing us all that greatness in between surgeries and chemo, the courage, the strength, the power it takes to do that. This is what dignity looks like. And I think she's bang on. I mean, the juxtaposition of him playing a superhero and bringing all these young children so much joy and brightening people's day. I mean, we touched on it in the hotline earlier in this episode that the arts industry does give so much to so many for him to do that in some of his darkest moments is a true testament to his character I also think the reason Chadwick Boseman's impact on the world was so significant was a matter of timing as well I mean Black Panther was not just a superhero movie I think it would be remiss of us to pretend that it was it also made some really poignant observations around racial solidarity slavery colonialism 
There was one scene, I read about this in a New York Times piece, where one character in Black Panther was contemplating mortality and the character said that he wanted to be buried in the ocean with my ancestors who jumped from ships because they knew death was better than bondage. I don't think it's common for Marvel movies to make those kind of political and racial statements. Black Panther did. Yeah, and there was a really beautiful tweet that I read from Bernice King that said, artists bring us experiences and invite us into their worlds of expression. Don't belittle a person and mourning someone they never met. We met Chadwick in the worlds to which he invited us and we mourn. And he invited people into those worlds as he was dying, which I think is an incredibly intimate thing to do. I saw also, Mish, that there was a passage from an interview swirling around Huffington Post journalist Matt Jacobs She had an excerpt from an interview that he did with Chadwick Boseman from 2017. And he wrote on Twitter, I interviewed Chadwick Boseman in 2017 and to think he was going through cancer while satisfying the physical demands of a Marvel movie. The screenshot in question had a question where the reporter asked Chadwick if he had bulked up after filming the drama film Marshall between the two Marvel films. And he replied, looking exhausted, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reporter said, you've been through the ringer, to which the actor responded with a laugh, oh, you don't even know, you have no idea. One day I'll live to tell the story. And it is like an incredibly profound interview excerpt to look back on, I think, to understand and to, or to try to understand just how much he was going through as he was doing so much good work. Yeah, it's a really weird experience as well. This morning I was actually scrolling through his Instagram feed and I was looking at all the captions and all the photos and I think I expected, having heard this news about how private Chadwick Boseman was, I expected him to either not have an Instagram account or to have one with very few posts. So to scroll through and see at least one post a month this year and particularly political posts about the Black Lives Matter movement and things that were really close to Chadwick Boseman's heart – was surprising to me, but I think it tells a really interesting story about how we cannot read into what people put online too much. Because if anyone looked at Chadwick Boseman's Instagram activity before Friday, they would have thought this is a really successful, happy man who is living his absolute best life, who doesn't have a dark storm cloud hanging over him. And I think the fact that people only months ago were kind of cyberbullying him for having lost weight, people making comments that were really derogatory and nasty about his appearance. I just think it's such a good reminder and it's such a good lesson to give people the benefit of the doubt online and to be kind and to remember that what you see of their life is such a tiny snippet in a huge movie. Mish, I wanted to finish by reading out a message that Chadwick Boseman sent a couple of friends, including Josh Gad, in I think the weeks before he died. And Josh Gad shared this on Twitter in the moments after he passed. And he said that this was one of his final messages from Chadwick Boseman. And it's a little long, but I want to read it out. He wrote at the time, if you were in Los Angeles, you woke up this morning to the rare and peaceful sound of steady precipitation. If you're like me, maybe you looked at the week's forecast and found that it's supposed to rain for three straight days, not without breaks of sunlight and reprieves of moist gloom. But yeah, it's going to be coming down like cats and dogs. Great. We're stuck inside these damn quarantines because of the COVID and now we can't even get no sun in Cali. Come on now. But now that the rain has stopped and today's storm has cleared, I urge you to go outside and take a deep breath. Notice how fresh the air is right now after our skies have had a three-week break from the usual relentless barrage of fumes from bumper-to-bumper LA commuters and now today's rain has given the City of Angels a long overdue and much-needed shower. 
Inhale and exhale this moment. Thank God for the unique beauties and wonders of the day. We should take advantage of every moment we can to enjoy the simplicity of God's creation, whether it be clear skies and sun or clouded over with gloom. And hey, if the air is clear right now and it does rain tomorrow, I might even put jars and bins out and catch the rain, throw that in the water filter, and I have water more alkaline than any bottled brand out there. And I think that's exactly where we can leave it, Zara. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to this episode. We're so grateful for your support. We are so excited to launch our book this week. I'm a bit teary as I'm saying that because that is such a beautiful passage from Jadwick Boseman and I'm really glad that you read that out. Yeah, and if you guys want more from us, as always, we will be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. And like Mish said, if you want to touch base on anything that we spoke about in the episode, call our hotline or email us at hotline at shamelessmediaco.com we will be back in your ears on thursday bye guys hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.